Good day, and welcome to the ESPN Media Conference with John Gruden. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Mr. Bill Hoffheimer. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, good afternoon, and welcome to today's ESPN Conference Call with John Gruden, who will be part of our NFL Draft coverage next week for Round 1 on Thursday, April 28th from Chicago, along with Chris Berman, Mel Kuyper, and Lewis Riddick. John also recently concluded the seventh season of his Gruden's QB Camp series. Episodes are currently airing across our ESPN networks. John can talk about the seven quarterbacks he sat with this spring, including Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, who are expected to be among the top overall picks, as well as other top prospects on this call today. Uh, we'll get right to the media question shortly, but first a reminder, we will have a transcript of this call later today, along with an audio replay on the ESPN Pod Center. Uh, we'll get started with media questions with Sam Farmer at the L.A. Times, followed by Jeff McLean at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Go ahead, Sam. Thanks, Bill. Hi, John. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the concepts of pocket presence and pro readiness and what those mean to you, pocket presence and pro readiness, particularly in relation to Jared Goff. Well, no, pro readiness, I think you got to use some different tiers. Number one, you, you got to evaluate the mental quickness, the arm quickness, the body quickness of each candidate, how well they communicate, their interaction with others, what's their interest level, their football intelligence. Can they teach the game themselves? They have to be able to do that at this stage of the game. And then you got to go to the film and really take a good look can they make the tight window throws? Are they tough in the pocket? Can they solve problems? How are they in a tight red zone situation? Did they take care of the ball? Can they bring their team from behind? There's so many different things that you have to evaluate. And then, obviously, you look at the system, the training ground that they come from. Um, not a lot of pro-style systems at the college level. Jared Goff comes from a no-huddle shotgun spread offense where most of the information comes from the sideline. So that'll cause him to have some serious adjustments, I think. But after spending a day with him, he is a quick study. He's got a real uh, strong group of intangibles for him. He's got a great family background that has pushed him and, and pushed him to this level. And I just, uh, to answer your question, I think Jared Goff has everything I'm looking for in the pocket. He has a great feet. He keeps his feet alive at all times. He takes punishment. Uh, he'll create new launching spots. He's a very talented pocket passer. I would want him if I were still coaching. Okay, we'll go to Jeff in Philadelphia, followed by Jerry McDonald at the Oakland Trib. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, John, you, you know uh, pretty well what it's like to be a quarterback playing in Philadelphia. Uh, Carson Wentz, you know, Fargo is a is a long way from Philadelphia. Why do you think he will or won't be able to play with the kind of pressures that he'll face in Philadelphia, especially after the team gave up so much uh, conceivably to get him? Oh, that's the million-dollar question. It's something you're going to have to prove no matter who you are, whether you're a player or a coach. Uh, in the NFL and especially in Philadelphia, uh, given what the Eagles just gave up to get a player, let's just say it is Carson Wentz, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. But 
The one thing that stands out about Wentz is his off-the-field intangibles. He's a two-time captain. He's a 4.0 GPA. He's a fifth-year finishing senior, valedictorian in high school, uh, very faith-oriented. If anybody can stand the mental pressure that comes uh, with playing in Philadelphia and withstand the physical pressure that it takes to play at a high level, it's Carson Wentz. Okay, we'll go to Jerry in Oakland, followed by Chris Solari at the Lansing State Journal. Yeah, John, um, could you uh, address uh, what kind of job you think Reggie McKenzie's done the last couple of years and, and what it meant for the Raiders when you look at what's going on where teams are trading up to get quarterbacks in this draft, what it meant for the Raiders to get Derek Carr in the second round in terms of the franchise development a couple of years ago? Well, I think Reggie's done a really good job. Uh, obviously, the Derek Carr selection at the top of the second round is his signature, I think, acquisition. Uh, when you have a quarterback, as you know, uh, your football program or city becomes a desirable destination for free agents. Uh, people want to go where they have a quality quarterback because they know they got a chance to win. So I think Derek Carr and his performance over the last couple of years has made the Raiders once again a destination for free agents. And uh, I can't tell you how happy I am to see that as an ex-Oakland Raider, Jerry. Okay, we'll go to Chris Solari in, uh, at Lansing State Journal, followed by Therese Taylor at the Kansas City Star. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, John. Obviously, uh, you haven't aired the Connor Cook special yet, uh, but after sitting with him, first of all, what did you see – both on tape and, and breaking down things with him uh, about offenses. And, and also, maybe what did you see about him personality-wise that made you say that he's one of the best potential quarterbacks in this draft? I'm a big believer in body of work. And Connor Cook's body of work at the college level is as good as anyone in this draft and in many drafts that I've seen in recent years. He's 34-5. and five. He beat five top ten teams. He's the all-time leading passer at Michigan State. He had a chance to redshirt and watch Kirk Cousins for a full season. I think that's beneficial. I love the system of football that this kid comes from. He's not completing a bunch of pop screens and bubble screens and quick screens like all these other quarterbacks. He's coming out of the huddle, and he's ripping it down the field. Is he perfect? No. But I really like his body of work. I like the degree of difficulty that he thrives under. He's brought his team back to win six times. He's the MVP of the Rose Bowl. I saw what he did in the Cotton Bowl, and he played through some injuries this year, helping Michigan State once again to another Big Ten championship. He's 6'4", over 220 pounds. I really like him at the top of this uh, draft, given all the other prospects that I've studied. Okay, we'll go to uh, Therese in Kansas City, followed by Tom Shad at the Memphis Appeal. Go ahead, Therese. Hey, John, thanks for doing this. i got a quick question for you. Um, you've seen these quarterbacks, um, and you've got a pretty good understanding, obviously, of what Andy Reid likes in quarterbacks. I'm just curious, um, who are some quarterbacks that you can see fitting in Andy's system um, and, and why? Just you know, give me some thoughts on some guys you think would be a good fit here and maybe where in the draft, too. Well, you know, you know Andy Reid, uh, he, he's been able – uh, to coach all kinds of different quarterbacks. He took Donovan McNabb out of Syracuse. I coached Donovan in the Senior Bowl. 
Donovan was a freeze option quarterback that did most of his damage running. Uh, I could see Andy Reid coaching a lot of these guys, starting with Dak Prescott in the second round, third round. Bring a guy in here that has similar traits, a dual threat. It looks like Andy Reid likes that kind of quarterback. They have uh, Brad Childress there that monitors what's going on in the college game. You see a lot of college principles added to Andy Reid's diverse background. I think Paxton Lynch could fit here. I think a lot of quarterbacks in this draft could fit Andy Reid's style because he has stayed on the cutting edge of what's going on at every level of football. But I have five quarterbacks in this draft going in the top 35 picks. I think the strength of this draft uh, is at the quarterback position. I just don't see a lot of drop-back quarterbacks at the college level on the horizon. And there's so many teams that need them desperately. Okay, we'll go to Tom Shedd in Memphis, followed by Doug Farr at Sports Illustrated. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, thanks for doing this, John. Uh, after spending a little bit of time with Paxton, I guess, what, what are your general impressions of him? What do you think his future will be? And, and what is going to be the biggest challenge for him, I guess, at the next level, the biggest thing that he's going to have to pick up, whether it's in the classroom, footwork, et cetera? You know, Lynch is, to me, the most intriguing man in this draft because of his size. Uh, and his athletic ability. Now, you don't find guys that are 6'7", 245, that can run this fast. He's got a 37-inch vertical jump, and he put Memphis on the map of college football. This man is winning a lot of games at Memphis where football really was an afterthought. Uh, he's a dual threat, over 280 career rushes, uh, has a poor man's Cam Newton style about him. You don't realize how much they rely on him as a runner in this offense. I like the way he's been coached. Fuente, the head coach, coached Andy Dalton at TCU. Um, I'm not saying he's Cam Newton, but I'm saying he's big like Cam Newton. He's athletic, and this kid is a dual threat that has a lot of people curious uh, about what he could actually bring to an NFL offense and how long it might take. Uh, I think he could have used another year, but when you win 22 games in Memphis in three years and beat Mississippi the way he played against Cincinnati, you know with the right coach and given a little continuity and supporting cast, this man can play at the next level. Okay, we'll go to Doug at SI, followed by Liz Clark at the Washington Post. Go ahead, Doug. Thanks, John. Uh, what, is it your, what are your thoughts about Vernon Adams? Uh, how do you project him to the NFL? What issues besides the obvious height thing uh, do you think he might face at the NFL level? I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear your question. Um, what do you think of Vernon Adams' college tape? Um, how do you think he'll project to the NFL? What kind of issues do you think he might face at the NFL besides the obvious height thing? Well, obviously, the people that have studied him play know that the, the, the comparison is to Russell Wilson. That's, that's what people hope they're getting, a guy that has the same qualities that Wilson had. This man can run and pass. Size is an issue. Wilson has proven that you don't have to be six feet. You don't have to be six five to play at the next level or any level anymore. But this kid in the college all-star game did a nice job. I thought he threw the ball functionally well enough. Once again, it's going to depend on who gets him, uh, what type of system that they run. When you look at Tyrod Taylor in the Pro Bowl, Russell Wilson, world champion, uh, obviously running and passing in that dual threat component, 
is a key criteria in today's game. Okay, we'll go to Liz in Washington, followed by Dan Waterer at the Chicago Tribune. Go ahead, Liz. Thanks to you both. Um, John, who outside your top five, you know, among that top 34, I'm sorry, 35, would you be eager to invest in if you if you were interested in picking up a quarterback, say, in the third or fourth round? Is, are there a few people who you, you'd be eager to develop long term? Yeah, you know, sure. I think the big problem is that word you just said, develop. Who has time to develop quarterbacks? We don't even have a rookie symposium. We don't even have a rookie symposium anymore. We're limiting the off-season. We're limiting training camp practices. People want to do away with preseason games. That's the big problem, and I think it's a crisis for the NFL. How do you develop a quarterback? But I like Jacoby Brissett at NC State. I think there's a lot of great stuff from that young man. Uh, I really like Nate Sudfeld at Indiana. I think those two guys uh, jump off the screen when you ask that question as, as two candidates. Uh, and I think Cardinal Jones at Ohio State, that size, that athletic ability, he's 11-0 as a starter, that arm talent, those are three guys I'd like to work with later in the draft. Okay, we'll go to Dan in Chicago, followed by John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News. Hey, John, I wanted to ask you about two guys. First of all, I wanted to know what in your mind Brissett brings to the table that makes him uh, an intriguing prospect there in the, in the middle of the draft. And also, with Dak Prescott, I know you've said that he needs to kind of find the right fit at the next level to, to maximize his, his success. In your mind, what does that entail for him? Well, you know, Dak Prescott, uh, you have to take a good look at the production, running and passing the last two years he had at Mississippi State. And I don't know anybody that's really won like he's won at Mississippi State. This team was number one in the nation uh, at one point last year, two years ago, I should say, uh, in the regular season. Big, strong, powerful kid. Um, you can be real creative with your game planning with a man like this. I just think he's got to continue to tighten up his passing re- release. Uh, got to work under the center. I think he struggled at his pro date. He's been working on that, refining his passing skills from underneath the center. And he took too many sacks for a man with this kind of athleticism this year. I know their line struggle, but he's got to take care of the ball better and eliminate some of the negative plays. But uh, Mississippi State, uh, you, can't des- you, you can't deny what happened there with him underneath the center. And In terms of Jacoby Brissett, I just know a lot of people that have worked with him. I know he has NFL size. He's got some really good athleticism. Uh, he's, I think, proven that he can make all the throws at the college level, and uh, he just got to tighten up his consistency. He's got to do it down after down, game after game, week after week, I think, to, to really improve. But uh, he's another guy that's going to have to get underneath the center more and adapt to a different style of football. Okay, we'll go to John in San Jose, followed by Joe Curlin at, the, at uh, Bison Illustrated. John, thanks for your time. Uh, when evaluating quarterbacks for the draft, push comes to shove. Is your decision ultimately based on the measurables or the intangibles? And, and how would you relate that to Goff and Wentz? Well, they're both important. You, you, I don't think you can sustain greatness without the intangibles. I mean, if you don't have the work ethic, the passion for the game, if you don't have leadership, if you don't have toughness, if you don't have intangibles, you can't sustain anything. 
so I think you have to have those things. I think at every position, you know, to be a great player, you got to have the proper intangibles. And sometimes those intangibles are lacking, and that's that's the reason why some guys fizzle out. But uh, in terms of the measurables, you know, you're looking at at golf of six foot four. Wentz is a little bit bigger. All these guys run under five flat. But I really think you have to look at the film and how these guys throw the football into tight windows, under duress, on the move, how they can rally their team, how they perform in critical moments. And that's why you got to spend a lot of time studying the tape and, and meeting these guys and comparing them. Okay, we'll go to Joe uh, Curlin, followed by Bill Rabinowitz at the Columbus Dispatch. So we're hearing, you know, how NDSU's offense is, you know, comparable to an NFL uh, scheme. I guess, do you see that? And I guess, what are some of their concepts that, you know, maybe Carson showed you on the board during your session that's, uh, that, I guess, make you agree with uh, that statement? Well, first of all, they get in a huddle. Can you imagine that? Uh, they get into a huddle with uh, 11 men, and they got to call a play. Uh, they get underneath the center. They use num- numerous personnel groupings. They're not in the same uh, one back, one tight end, three receivers set the entire day. They use every formation, every shift in motion that you can use. They involve the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. He gets up there and audibles, changes plays, changes protections. He doesn't have to look to the sideline to get all the answers, and that is huge. Those elements alone distinguish their offensive system to most of the other colleges that I've seen in the last three or four years. You see three-step, five-step, seven-step drops, play action, movement throws, screens, and a passing game that has progressions to it. If the primary is not open, you go to the secondary receiver. If he's not open, you go to the outlet receiver. So I see a lot of elements and concepts at North Dakota State that I see in the NFL and when you win five national championships, there's a lot of good stuff going on, and it starts with coaching and system football. Okay, Bill in Columbus, followed by Emmett Golden at ESPN Cleveland. Yes, John, you spent a day with Cardale Jones. What were your impressions of him when you studied the tape? What were the, the things you liked and the deficiencies, and what kind of prospect do you think he really is? Well, obviously, uh, the size, the arm strength, the nickname 12-gauge and the athletic ability uh, impressed me. I saw him jump over a guy a few years ago against Maryland. I said, who the hell is that guy? And then I saw the arm strength in the playoffs, and, and I said, i got to meet this young man. He has a 36-inch vertical jump, 250-plus pounds. He can run under 4.8, and he has a rocket for an arm. Uh, I just don't think that the offensive system was set up for a drop-back passing type quarterback. Ohio State uh, under Urban Meyer does an unbelievable job with the quarterback using him as a runner. Uh, and you can look at Braxton Miller and Tim Tebow and, and go on and on to J.T. Barrett. You'll see that that is a fact. I, I just think that he's got to get better in the pocket, get under the center, um, be more in rhythm as a passer. His footwork needs a lot of work. I think sometimes he locks into receivers. Uh, he doesn't handle the ball very well in some some situations. And I think he struggled in the red zone. Obviously, they made a substitution there to go to another quarterback. So 
he needs time. He needs reps, and I think he needs to be in an offense that accentuates him as a drop-back passer, something they don't do a lot of at Ohio State, in fairness to him. Okay, we're going to Emmett Golden at, uh, in Cleveland, followed by Jim Wyatt at Titans Online. Emmett? No? Okay, we'll move on. Jim Wyatt, Titans Online, followed by Chris Bradford at the Beaver County Times. John, I know you spent a lot of time with Marcus Mariota this time last year. Can you tell me what impressed you most about his rookie season and where, and where do you think his career is headed? Oh, what impressed me the most was his first game he played here in Tampa. I think he came to town here and lit up the Buccaneers and, and proved to me and to everybody, I think, that this this guy's a real deal. Um, he performed uh, in an offense that was completely different than the one he ran at Oregon, and I thought he did an excellent job uh, underneath the center, uh, changing plays at the line of scrimmage, moving his football team, and he did it in a lot of adverse situations. I think he's got a tremendous upside. Obviously, the Titans are going to do everything they can in this draft to add some offensive linemen and some people around him to take better care of him. Okay, we'll go to uh, Chris Bradford at Beaver County Times, followed by Eric Branch at the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, John, I was wondering what you had seen from uh, Christian Hackenberg. He's been seen as kind of a wild card in this draft, and uh, where do you see him going? You know, Hackenberg, uh, I just have to keep going back to his true freshman season. And I know uh, two years have gone by, uh, two disappointing seasons in terms of his production and expectations. But as a true freshman, he's the Big Ten freshman of the year uh, under Bill O'Brien, going for almost 3,000 yards and 20 touchdowns. He's a Penn State two-time captain. I love that. He's just been beat up too many times, a ridiculous number of sacks in the last couple of years. Too many plays, had no chance from the get-go. But I think he's put together. He's smart. He's tough. He's a lot better athlete than you think. And he just has this presence about him. He has the loudest, most um, commanding snap count that I've heard in Andrew Luck. He has a lot of playing experience in two different systems. Uh, I think he competes his butt off. I think he wants this real bad. And he and Connor Cook had six or seven fourth-quarter comebacks. I like this kid a lot. I think he's got the NFL size, the strength in his arm, and the desire to be great that you need to have at this level. And he just got to regain his confidence, not just in himself, but that he can actually have the time to drop back to pass, scan the defense, and make the throws he made as an 18-year-old freshman. But he was, uh, he was surrounded by way too many negatives at Penn State, all the sanctions, the coaching changes. I think they had a lack of personnel. I don't believe the offense suited him, and expectations have, have been soaring since he stepped on campus. Okay, we'll go to uh, Eric in San Francisco, followed by Dom Costantino and uh, NJ Media. Hi, John. I had a, another Vernon Adams question. Uh, in your mind, uh, is he a, a draftable quarterback? And if so, what would be an appropriate spot? Where would you have him on, on your board? I don't think he will get drafted um, just because of the five foot, ten and a half inch status. I know you, know you can make the argument that Russell Wilson was a third round pick, but I think 
Uh, he's got a lot to prove. I think he's going to go as an undrafted priority free agent, which might be an advantage to him to pick the team. That'll give him the best opportunity to stick. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, normally you don't draft quarterbacks uh, of that stature. I'm going to keep Russell Wilson where he is. He's the exception. He's the gold standard. Um, that, that maybe is the exception of that rule. Okay, we'll go to Dom, followed by Phil Sheridan uh, with ESPN in Philadelphia. Go ahead, Dom. Yeah, hi, John. Uh, it looks like the, the Jets are going to have no chance to get Carson Wentz or Jared Goff. Paxton Lynch may or may not fall to them at 20. If you were in their situation, would you trade up or consider trading up to get Paxton Lynch, or do you think they may be better off you know, trying to get one of the other quarterbacks a bit later in the draft? Uh, you know, they're a really confusing uh, – to me, from the standpoint that they have uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick out there in free agency, a man that threw over 30 touchdown passes on a team that won 10 games. They've also got time invested in Geno Smith and Bryce Petty, two men that they drafted fairly high. It might be good for them to uh, answer the question themselves. They've got to evaluate Geno and Bryce right now, and I'm sure they're doing that prior to the draft. If they like the progress that they've seen from Petty, or Geno Smith, I wouldn't consider drafting a quarterback. But if they see these two young men as clearly not able to take the reins, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets do move up. Because if, if Geno and Bryce can't get it done and become the long-term solution, the Jets better address that mighty quick. Okay, we'll go to Phil in Philadelphia, followed by Gary Klein at the L.A. Times. Hi, John. How you doing? Um, two-part question here. We always talk about quarterbacks uh, being drafted and they're the bust or they do well. But how much is important? Uh, is it important for the right situation to be there, the right coach, the right teammates, that kind of thing, the right offense? And what are the key factors there? And the second part is knowing Doug Peterson as you do and the Eagles' offense as they're going to run it. How good a fit would that be for a young quarterback? In this case, probably Carson. Well, I think that's very underrated. What you just said. I think that used to be. Uh, one of the most important things in developing a quarterback, that was A, the system, and B, the guy coaching the system. I grew up under Mike Holmgren and Bill Walsh and Paul Hackett. I always felt the quarterback was the most important man in the organization. And uh, Now the way teams change offensive coordinators every year and change head coaches, they change those guys like they change their shirt. So I don't think many organizations put, put a um, – emphasis on system of football like they used to. And I think it's challenging for these guys to develop. But in terms of Doug Peterson, what you're getting obviously is a man that falls off Andy Reid's tree. You're going to see a guy that's very quarterback friendly. Uh, the problem right now I see in Philadelphia is they got too many quarterbacks to be friendly with. How are they going to distribute any reps and get anybody ready when you've got Sam Bradford making $18 million, you've got uh, – Chase Daniel, who's a backup, I think he's making $7 million. Now you're going to have a number two pick in the draft. So I don't know how you're going to get these guys all reps and get them all ready, but uh, Doug Peterson will have to answer that. That'll be a challenge. Okay, we'll go to Gary uh, in L.A., followed by Cam Inman at the San Jose Mercury News. Uh, hi, John. Um, after watching film and spending time with Carson Wentz, um, you know, what are the main impressions you come away with? And also, you talked about Jared Goff and kind of the special pressure that goes with playing in Philadelphia. 
if Carson Wentz is taken by the Rams as the top guy, what kind of pressures will he face in L.A., and uh, how do you think he's suited to handle that? Well, you know, Carson Wentz, when when you watch him on tape, um, you know, number one, I, I just like a big guy that has athleticism. This is a kid that carried the ball a lot on design quarterback runs. Uh, he's got a consistent compact throwing motion. He had a good senior bowl week. I thought he stood out there as well. Um, he's got the prototype size, and I talked earlier about the system of football that he's come from. You see him at the line of scrimmage take ownership of the game. I like the way he brought his team back to beat Northern Iowa, uh, obviously playing well in two national championship games. I think his overall performance was very consistent. And I love what he did when he got hurt this year. He stayed loyal. He stayed with his team. He helped develop the young quarterback. He didn't leave town and start doing exercises with some mysterious strength coach to get ready for the draft. This guy finished. I love that about him. Uh, And in terms of uh, Jared Goff, you know, I don't know how you deal with pressure until you go out and prove it. You know, some people feel pressure. Some people don't. But I just thought Goff came across as an Iceman, a guy that didn't feel any pressure. He applied pressure, and nothing bothered him. I tried to get under his skin, and I'm good at that. I can really irritate people. Not even I could bother Goff. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think it'll be a benefit staying close to home in a state that he loves, obviously. Okay, we'll go to Cam uh, at the Mer- Mercury News, followed by Mark Maskey at the Washington Post. Thank you, Bill. Hi, John. Uh, how would you handle the 49ers quarterback situation? I mean, obviously right now they got Gabbard and Kaepernick, who may not be there much longer. Uh, Gabbard's only signed through this year. And then probably then the related question, which one of these guys in the draft would fit Chip Kelly's offense? Depends on, uh, you know, what offense they're running. You know, it'd be interesting to see what Chip Kelly does. He's been a head coach now. He's had a chance to learn a lot, I'm sure, along the way. Is he going to continue with the no huddle, up-tempo, every down style of football? Or is he going to adapt and go another direction and perhaps maybe maybe do both things? That's that's a great question, something I'm anxious to see, what exactly this 49er offense looks like. I just don't think he's going to come out and show the same things that he did in Philadelphia. I think he's going to change to his personnel and to his quarterback is. And right now, I don't think the 49ers know who that is. They've obviously not been able to trade Colin Kaepernick. Who knows what the reality is, whether they even wanted to trade him or just were looking into trading him. Uh, Blaine Gabbard is still an unknown, if you ask me. So there's a lot of unknowns coming out of San Francisco. I do know they need players. This is not nearly the same San Francisco 49er team that was in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Okay, we'll go to Mark in Washington, followed by Bill Bender at the Sporting News. Yeah, John, when when you look at at Goff and Wentz uh, as prospects sort of compared to the top quarterbacks in other drafts, do you think it's justified not only that it looks like they'll be going one and two, but but the moves that have been made and what's been given up for teams to, to move up and get them? Do you think that's justified by their level, the, the level of prospects they are? Or does that just sort of speak to the need of the teams that are making these moves? I think it's a combination of both things. It's hard to compare this draft 
to last year's draft or to 10 years ago's draft. I know there's a, not, a lot of analytical people out there that are trying to do that and perhaps make their decisions on recent analysis or all-time analysis uh, analytics. I don't know. But all I know is if you don't have one of these guys, if you don't have a quarterback, here's the pool of quarterbacks in this year's draft. And if you have a real good scouting department, you can see who the candidates are going to be in next year's draft. And I think when people are looking at this year's group of quarterbacks, there are several that have the ability to play in this league. And if you don't get one this year, I hope you have a magic wand uh, to get one in next year or the following year's draft because nothing that happened five years ago is going to help you right now. Okay, we'll go to Bill uh, at Sporting News, followed by Eric Peterson at the Forum newspaper. Hey, Coach, good afternoon. Uh, You mentioned Connor and uh, Christian and those fourth-quarter comebacks. It's been over 20 years since the Big Ten had a first-round quarterback. Are are either one of these guys worthy of that, and why has it taken so long? Yeah, that was an alarming uh, stat to me. I read Earl Morrill was the last guy to go in the first round out of the Big Ten. Uh, maybe your Arch Schleister. I think Arch Schleister went in the first round. I don't know of any other Big Ten quarterbacks that have have had the great honor of going in the first round. You know, I could care less where the guys come from in terms of round. Um, you know, these these draft shows are great, and all these uh, prognostications where a guy should go and will go are, are, are two stories that are fun to talk about. But Connor Cook in this draft, to me, on based on all the other prospects and the need at the position should go in the top uh should go in the first round. And and I, I feel the same way about Christian Hackenberg. I think I've I think like I said earlier, I've got five quarterbacks in the top thirty five players of this year's draft. Okay, we'll move on to Eric at the Forum newspaper followed by Megan Ryan at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Gentlemen, when you evaluate a quarterback who came from the FCS level, do you have to evaluate the, the film differently than maybe someone who pay, played at a power conference just based on the, the competition he's going against? You know, it's hard. It, it is hard, no question. The, the speed of the game is different. Um, the guys he's throwing to and the guys he's throwing against are different. Uh, hard to study it, hard to – Say, can this kid do it at the next level? But I did see Carson Wentz in the senior bowl on the practice field and the few reps that he had in the game function and looked like he belonged there. But it is difficult. It was hard with Tony Romo who went undrafted. I'm sure it was hard. It was hard for us with Flacco coming out of Delaware. Uh, hard with Steve McNair coming out of Alcorn. Kurt Warner we had in Green Bay. Uh, Andy Reid, Steve Mariucci, Mike Colbert, and myself, we cut Kurt Warner. That just goes to show you uh, this is not a perfect science. Okay, we'll go to Megan in Pittsburgh, followed by Chris Dabe at NOLA.com. Hi, John. How are you? Hi. Hi. Um, I just have a quick question. Uh, After spending some time with Christian Hackenberg, how, I guess, would you evaluate his outlook or his mental state um, going from such a great freshman year to the ups and downs he's had these past two seasons? How is he, I guess, kind of handling um, all the talk around him? No, that's the one thing I walked away with most impressed about Hackenberg is his loyalty. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. I know there have been some reports that he did. He didn't with me. Uh, he stuck up for his teammates. He stuck up for his coaches. And uh, that guy has blue in his blood. He loves Penn State. Wanted to be there as a kid. 
and uh, took a lot of pride in going there uh, in some really difficult sick situations and could have left, I'm sure, after Bill O'Brien left, but he chose to stay. I think he's a loyal kid. I think he, he really improved his mental toughness there. He gained some experience, and um, I think he's very eager to prove he's a better player than he put out on tape the last season or so. All right, we'll move on to uh, Chris at NOLA.com, followed by Bob Condota at the Seattle Times. Hi. Uh, the, the Saints, uh, they just saw Drew Brees under contract for another year with a, an extension expected. And uh, leading into this draft, they've had visits with as many as six quarterbacks. And in your mind, would it make sense for them to maybe pick a quarterback this year, second year in a row, after they took Garrett Grayson in the third round a year ago? And if so, who would be a good fit for, for Sean Payton's uh, system and why? Well, Sean and I uh, have worked together in the past, and I know that he never has enough of those guys. They ask so much of the quarterback in that system of football that uh, they're always going to be on the lookout. And only he can answer that. He doesn't. He's the only one that knows how well Garrett Grayson has performed uh, over the last year and how he's performing now. I think that's the big thing. Uh, how Garrett Grayson is looking at this early phase of off-season activity, if he's not taking the bull by the horns and looking sharp and looking like he can be the heir apparent to Drew Brees, Sean Payton's looking for a quarterback. But if he's impressed with what he sees, uh, he might just give Garrett Grayson the opportunity that he deserves. Uh, that, to me, is going to be what decides how New Orleans goes in this draft at the quarterback position. Okay, well, we'll move on to Bob in Seattle, followed by John Kime with ESPN's NFL Nation. Um, yeah, John, uh, if you're a team like the Seahawks and you've got, you know, Russell Wilson, a kind of an established, young, durable quarterback, how much value do you – how much, I guess, resources do you feel like you'd have to put in the backup quarterback spot? Right now they sort of don't have anybody um, that's, that looks like a sure backup, and, you know, there's some thought maybe they would try to draft one in this uh, in this draft. Well, I think you, you always have to have somebody that's competent that can get the job done if there's an injury or if there's an illness or if something happens. And I know Tavares Jackson has, has done that in the past. Uh, fortunately, Seattle has not had to go to a backup quarterback. That's a big reason why they win games. But if I'm Seattle, I'm going to look hard at that offensive line. I don't think it was a strength of their team last year. And when you lose Sweezy, when you lose Russell Okun, uh, you need to get some new offensive linemen that can help keep your franchise quarterback upright. I think that's a priority, and I'm sure Daryl Bevel, Pete Carroll are always on the outlook for a young up-and-coming quarterback that suits their scheme. Okay, on to John Keim, uh, followed by Zach Berman at the Philly Inquirer. Uh, John, I'm curious with the Redskins. Um, first, your thoughts on Kirk Cousins, what, what he did and where you think he's going. Also, given their situation where he's on the franchise tag, how would you handle that situation knowing it's just a one-year situation with him now in terms of the draft? How would you handle, would you definitely bring it, want to bring in someone else to groom them or to have another guy in here just in case? I think Cousins did a great job. You know, remember, he had to win the job. He had to compete for the job. He didn't get the bulk of the work going into the season last year and broke Washington Redskins passing records and, help them win a division championship. So, you know, I don't look, I don't know what the Redskins are doing, even though I do have a friend of mine that's coaching out there, my brother, 
Um, I would try to get a long-term deal done. I'm sure that's what they're trying to do. It's not going to be easy. Uh, you see the money Brock Osweiler got. You see the money Sam Bradford got. You see the money Kaepernick and Andy Dalton and Chase Daniel have received. I'm sure the agent for Kirk Cousins would like a huge contract, given what just transpired on the field. Uh, I like Colt McCoy. So if I'm Washington and I got these two quarterbacks, I feel pretty good about myself. Uh, I do, however, uh, think they need to add some players. Uh, they haven't been real active in free agency, and I'm sure this is a huge draft. Okay, we'll go to Zach uh, in Philadelphia, followed by Matt Barrows at the Sacramento Bee. Hey, John, as a follow-up to what you said before, from a coach's perspective, how would you handle a situation like the Eagles had where they say Sam Bradford is the starter, but the number two pick is clearly the future of the franchise. I think that's 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 the biggest challenge that they're going to have. When you look at the amount of reps that you can have with your team, uh, that number is substantially less than it was five years ago with this new collective bargaining agreement. So you've got to get a new head coach who's running a new offensive system, you better got to get it in gear quickly because the games are about to start. So who's going to get the reps and who's going to get the leftovers? You don't have time to give three guys reps. You just don't. And if you do, then you're not running a real sophisticated offense. It's hard to get one guy ready to go today, uh, let alone two. So there could be a trade. Uh, I don't want to start any rumors in Philadelphia, but uh, if they do draft a quarterback with all they have invested in him, I'm sure they want to give him as many reps as possible, and that's going to make somebody, I think, unhappy and perhaps expendable. Okay, on to Matt at the Sacramento Bee, followed by uh, Thomas Basinger at the Tampa Times. Hi, John. Uh, the 49ers have spent uh, a lot of time with Connor Cook in the run-up to the draft. You mentioned that he um, uh, watched Kirk Cousins um, at Michigan State. Who, who would you compare him to who's a quarterback in the NFL now? Is, is Cousins the, the comp there, or are there other guys that are, are better um, analogies? Yeah, no, I, don't, I don't like to compare uh rookies to veterans i don't think that that i'm i've ever been very good at that i'll say this my old boss al davis would have loved connor cook because this kid pushes the ball down the field uh he's one of the guys in this draft that made me make funny sounds when i was watching him play be groaning like whoa what a throw ah he made some jaw-dropping throws against stanford in the rose bowl uh he, he pushes the ball down the field I love that about him. He's got a great amount of experience, and he's got size and athleticism, and uh, he's gotten results. Uh, I don't know anybody else that has won 34 games at Michigan State. So uh, I think it would be a great pick for the 49ers, personally. Okay, we've got uh, time for three more questions. So we'll go to Thomas in Tampa, followed by Tad Hayslip at the Sporting News and Jay Harris at, at buffalobills.com. So go ahead, Thomas. Hey, thanks to you both. Uh, so uh, after all these years, no one has cracked the draft. You know, sometimes uh, you take a, a great running back in the first round and he, and he tears up his knees. Um, you know, John, going back to your time uh, with the Bucks, uh after the Super Bowl, 
Uh, do you have any uh, regrets that, that stand out in your mind about how the team drafted? Is there any particular decision that you wish uh, you yeah, – Yeah, you want – how long do you have to talk? I could talk <laughs> to you for several minutes here. You know, first of all, I regret not having any high draft picks the first couple of years I was there. We didn't have a one or a two. So it's no fun going to the draft meetings when you can't pick – in the first two rounds, the first two years you're on the job as a new head coach. I hated that. I'm still ticked off about that. Uh, we gave up way too much uh, to get uh, a coach in Tampa Bay. So, yeah, it starts right there. I remember I wanted Deshaun Jackson in the second round. We had his nameplate on our board, and we got Dexter Jackson from Appalachian State. So let's just finish right there. Okay, we'll go to Tad uh, at Sporting News, followed by Jay at the Buffalo Bills. Hey, guys. Uh, John, just a, a quick question about the running back position, which is often debated these days uh, in terms of value and, and application. And there happens to be a few guys in this year's draft who are intriguing prospects. Uh, my question to you is, let's hypothetically say you're a GM or a coach in 2016. Uh, what, what attributes do you most value in a running back today? Well, they got to be three down players, meaning they can play on any down. You know, they can run the ball in between the tackles on the perimeter. They can catch the ball, and they can run an array of different routes. You can line them up in the slot. You can run them out of the backfield. And finally, you got to be able to pick up blitzes. Uh, and you got to like to pick up blitzes. You got to know who to block, how to block, and to be great at it, you got to want to block. And those are the criteria to be a three-down player, to do all three of those things at a high level. And I think there is a guy in this draft that can do that, uh, to make people miss, hit the home run, uh, catch it, uh, break tackles, take care of the ball. I think there is a guy in this year's draft that can do that in Ezekiel Elliott at Ohio State. Okay, we'll go to Jay in Buffalo. And then if Barry Janoff is still on the line, I think we do have time for, for one more for him. Uh, I, I had neglected to uh, to add him before. So, Jay in Buffalo, go ahead. And, Barry, if you're on, I'll, I'll go to you next, and we'll finish it up. Jay Harris in Buffalo. And, Jay, if you could check the mute function on your phone. Okay. If you don't have a question, that's fine. Uh, Barry Janoff, are you on the line? Right here. Oh, hey, Barry, why don't you go ahead, and then we'll we'll finish up with your question. Thanks thanks for hanging in there. Okay. Hey, Coach, thanks for your time, and congratulations on seven seasons of uh, Gruden's camp not getting fired. <laughs> Thank you. You know, if you could go back and take – I know you work with incoming QBs, but if you could go back and get – Manziel and RG3 and Tebow and sit them down the way you do these rookie guys. Could you work with them, talk to them? Is there things – I mean, everybody's different, but is there is there a way you could work with them and say, what have you been doing? Here's what you need to do. Can you hit them over the head and do the things you've been doing? I think so. I, mean, I think, you know, selfishly, egotistically, you know, some think they can do more than others. Uh, you know, I, I'm look, I'm very confident that uh, – you know, I, I just – I don't know. I don't want to sound like a, like I have all the answers because I certainly don't. But I would love to have had a chance to work with any of those guys you just brought up. Uh, I do know this. Uh, a lot of people in the league feel the same way that I do. And 
It's up to these young men, whoever you're talking about, to take advantage of their opportunity. You know, they've got to make the plays when they're there to be made. Uh, They've got to stay healthy. They've got to be reliable. They've got to be accountable. And they've got to be able to perform. But um, in answer to your question, yeah, I wish I could have had a a shot at some of these guys. But um, QB camps as close as I get to the fire. All right, and with that, we're uh, right at uh, close to 150, which is uh, the time that we have for today. I want to thank John and thank the members of the media for joining our call today. Uh, just a reminder, we'll have a transcript and an audio replay of this call available later today, and John will be part of our draft coverage a week from today, round one from Chicago uh, on ESPN. So thanks again, everybody, for joining us. And, um, again, John Gruden's QB camp will be airing uh, – throughout this week and even post-draft. So I hope you'll catch some of the episodes that, uh, that are airing on ESPN. Thanks very much. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, that does conclude today's call. We do appreciate everyone's participation.